4: I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Trying to get you to retirement. That's the goal of the show. You get the idea. Um, let's talk money. Let's talk investing. Let's talk sex. <laughs> money is sexy, isn't it? Or is it not? Am I wrong on that? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Okay. couple things. Um... Let's start with markets, SP500 up 16, Dow up 126, NASDAQ up 27. Basically, everything that I'm looking at is green. Um, Interesting, couple things to think about, Wall Street rises on labor market data. That labor market data was the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment Rose less than expected last week, a sign that the labor market continues to strengthen. I like the Russell 2000 a lot because of this. Whatever is happening in Russia or the Ukraine or the Middle East or Asia, and China, Australia, doesn't matter to the Russell 2000. They're small cap American companies, which typically means they don't have a lot of exposure to international markets. Um, so, rock, scissors, paper. Right now, the Russell to me beats the SP 500. Nothing against the SP 500. I think the SP 500 is going to have some currency issues with a stronger dollar. And I think it's going to have some issues with what's happened internationally speaking. So, initial claims uh, the increase left intact the bulk of the prior week's huge decline, which taken claims at their lowest level since April 2000. Um, that's positive. Claims have been volatile in recent months because of difficulties adjusting the data for seasonal variations. Four-week moving average, which is considered a better look at first-time unemployment claims, fell to 292,750. Um, again, fairly positive in my opinion. Combine that with layoffs hit nearly two-year high in January. The number of planned layoffs by U.S. employers were to a nearly two-year high in January as the energy industry slashed jobs. Um, Challenger said 21,322 cuts, about 40% were directly related to oil prices. So That's one of the negatives on the rapid plunge in oil. Pfizer buying Hospira for 16 billion dollars. Hospira is a maker of injectable drugs and infusion technologies. Put in its cash to work as it deals with billions of dollars lost in sales from drugs losing patent protections. So Pfizer um, positively regarded for this. Um, Hospira is a global established business. It's um, so, they've got what are called biosimilars and injectables. So, this is probably seen as boosting the business ahead of any potential Pfizer breakup. Pfizer's got a lot of drugs like Lipitor that no longer need a sales force. Lipitor is now generic and it sells what it sells for. It's pretty well known out there, right? So, the idea here is that down the road, Pfizer's going to probably break up the company. Showing some strength growing business and showing some strong income business. It's kind of like separate the growth from the value. Um, And Wall Street likes that future idea. There's a lot going on this morning, a lot of ruminations, a lot of thoughts. Uh, The late tumult came out yesterday from the European Central Bank and announced it would no longer accept Greek bonds as collateral for ECB funds. Effective February 11th, since it is not currently possible to assume a succession conclusion on the, the program review. Greece's prime uh, finance minister, yesterday I was talking to Germany's finance member, uh, minister, and ultimately said, hey, you probably better than anyone else knows what deflation's like. You had it back in the 1930s. Greece has it now. Germany had it much worse than Greece has it now, but Greece's finance member brought up the, f- the idea that, hey, our number three political party are the Nazi party. So Germany, you... Better think about helping us with our deflation issue instead of saying, go stand on your own. Try to come up with some growth ideas instead of some austerity. Austerity, i.e., tighten your belt, suck it up. Stand on your own. So the Greece finance minister pulled the old Nazi trump card. Whoa. Um, When you have massive deflation and high unemployment, you've got a very disenfranchised youth. and when you're anti establishment it could become quite a problem. So, and it could become a self-filling spiral of deflation. So, Greek banks can still have their liquidity needs met through the Emergency Liquidation Assistance Program. The limitation is only on Greek bonds used for collateral. Greek banks can still come to the ECB with other eligible collateral bearing the jerk reaction, the Greek debt situation is still unsettled and will be continue to be unsettled for the foreseeable future. And there will be a lot of negotiations through media and through headlines. Um, The trade deficit widened to 46.6 billion in December, down from a revised 39.8 billion to 38 billion. Exports dropped by 1.5 billion. The December report coupled with a downward revision to November means that the trade deficit will subtract more from fourth quarter GDP growth. So our GDP growth that we thought we had will be less than it is. That's the headline risk, that's not real risk. Um, productivity declined 1.8% while unit labor cost rose 2.7%. A bigger increase in hours than output. Compensation should be up modestly, i.e. incomes. Other stories in the news today. Sprint's taken a $1.9 billion charge to write down its brand name. Sprint wrote down the value of its brand name by $1.9 billion, helping drag the wireless carrier to a wider than expected loss. Sprint lost fewer of the industry's most lucrative subscribers in the period. Sprint said it lost a net 19,000 retail postpaid subscribers compared with 336,000 postpaid customers in the previous quarter and 69,000 a year earlier. Sprint is in the midst of a turnaround. CEO Marcelo Clore has posted a string of losses in recent years as customers have left its network. Carrier's been dogged by a network whose quality is worse than its rivals, and cell phone pricing plans uh, has been confusing. Um, for the quarter sprint lost $2.38 billion. Oof, can you imagine? You know, I, I feel bad when I, I lose, like, $5, or like, hey, I thought I had a 5 in my wallet. Where'd it go? Uh-oh, what did you lose $2.3 billion? <laughs> Whoa. Michael Kors gave a soft outlook. Uh, disappointing outlook for its current quarter. Reported narrower margins in its holiday period adding to concerns that the retailer is having to discount to drive sales. The fashion retailer consistently has reported strong bottom-line growth as demand in its retail and wholesale merchandise segments has risen. Concern comes as Coors struggles with tepid retail and heavy promotional environments that have struck much of the industry. Other news out there, Sears Satellite Radio now has 27.3 million total subscribers. They added some um, during the quarter. Uh, 576,000 churn i.e people who quit the service dropped from 1.9 percent down to 1.8 percent profit of 143 million dollars revenue grew 9.1 percent to 1.09 billion it's a pretty good number i'm rob black talking all things financial money investing and more pick up phone and give us a call 800-516-1220 it's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air
2: Black talking all thing
4: financial A um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Where you live is just as important as how much you save. So it's something to consider. There's a certain degree of income inequality across the United States. But what state you live in and how it's taxed can create obviously more for less for you and or less with more for you. Um, You know, the effective tax rate on the lowest 20%, the effective tax rate on the top 1%, um, you can see like massive differences across, you know, the country. So, if I were young today and not being able to save, I'd move. Um, I'd get to Seattle, I'd get to Denver, I'd get to another state that is a little bit more tax-friendly for my income as well as my sales tax. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. CFP Chad Burton with New Focus Financial. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. Chad, one of the big issues in retirement is knowing your sources of income. We all know Social Security is going to be there, but what other sources of income might we have?
5: Well, it's going to come from, you're going to have a balanced portfolio, hopefully, so you have stocks and bonds and that in terms of funds and ETFs. Bonds pay interest, stocks pay dividends. If you're going to be buying individual stocks in retirement, I'm a fan of stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend. Because when the market's bad, if you have three out of 10 years that are negative and your stock portfolio is down, you can still have income that's up. Right. So that's very important. But you still want going into retirement, you want You know, twenty to forty percent of your income, Uh especially if you think you're going to live a long time and you have longevity in your family, you want, you know, twenty to forty percent minimum in guaranteed lifetime income, and like like replacing what pensions used to be there for for your parents. They used to have pensions, right? We don't, we don't. But you can do your own personal pensions.
4: And even if you have, so you basically are turning your portfolio that you've created from age twenty to sixty into a pension. Yeah. You kind of start thinking, I have to annuitize this. It has to last till the day I die.
5: Yeah. So, you know, I use a strategy where I have three years' worth of expenses, a balanced portfolio, a stock portfolio. But I also use, um, in, off, in many cases, right now, bonds are a very tough thing to invest in because their prices are at an all time high, yields are at an all time low. I'm not seeing inflation, so I'm not scared of bonds right now. Okay. But eventually we'll have to switch. So, if you're trying to say, what's a bond alternative where I can still get 5% or more over my lifetime out of my bond portfolio? There are certain no-load insurance products that can give you that type of, a, of, of an income, where you can invest in a balanced portfolio and the insurance company will guarantee you know five to seven percent income for the rest of your life. These products used to be awful because they used to be in annuities that had back-end surrender charges, you know three and a half percent fees inside of them. Now there's no load versions of it, right. And there's also standalone insurance products now that will insure a portfolio for lifetime income, which is okay on a bond alternative. And, and so you, can, you have an overall strategy, and then you might have some bond alternatives in your portfolio that have guaranteed lifetime so that with your Social Security and some of those alternative uh, income investments, you have a portion that if you live till 100 and the market doesn't do well, you still have income, and that's important.
4: As a certified financial planner, how often do people come into your office without enough retirement thinking they had enough retirement?
5: I would say probably 50% of the time. And the reason why is because they're not thinking about health insurance costs. They're not thinking about long-term care. They're not realizing that, you know, inflation. Yeah. I mean, every about 18 years, you're, you're you know, dollars cut in half with inflation.
4: And Is that the, you know how there's the, seven, the rule of 72? Yeah. Money doubles every seven years, something right. like
5: that. So you divide 72 by the expected rate of return. Yeah. And that's how long it takes to double. It's the same thing. If inflation's so inflation is running up at 3%, then okay. it's going to take 18 to 20 years for the for the opposite of that to happen, for the dollar to cut in half. So you, you have to increase, um, you know, you have to have a very detailed income ch- statement that shows your long-term projection with average expenses growing at least 3%, but your health care costs growing at 5 to 6% a year.
4: Anything that we need to know on a final thought?
5: Well, again, when you're when you're looking at some of the products that are out there, be aware of who's showing you the products. If they're insurance people that get paid a commission or if they're working at a big firm or a bank that get paid a commission. The product might sound good, but you can get no load versions of that product with much, much lower fees. So make sure you're working with a fiduciary that has your best interest in mind rather than somebody that's working on a commission that has to get paid by selling you something.
4: I've been talking with CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Feeling romantic? Feeling like you could write a love haiku? Uh, Not me, but (laughs) maybe you. Uh, If you do feel romantic and feel that you can write a love haiku, Chipotle is giving away free food for the best haikus. Starting today, there's a contest. It's open to residents in the United States who are 14 and older. 20 prizes, each a dinner for two, meaning two entrees, one chips, one guacamole, and two drinks at a restaurant, which typically retails for about 22 bucks. The prizes will be given to ten people from Facebook and ten people from Twitter. Chipotle is encouraging those interested to post a haiku to the wall of Chipotle's Facebook page or post a tweet at Chipotle Tweets. Eligible entries with the ten most likes on Facebook will be the Facebook winners, and the eligible entries with the ten highest number of retweets will be the winners on Twitter. Okay, are you telling me? Are you telling me that uh, Chipotle is running a contest to give away twenty? Dinners at 22 bucks. 10 through Twitter, 10 through Facebook. I, I'm reading the story right. And does this not feel like the dumbest, stupidest, cheapest promotion of all time? Now, again, they got me to mention it, which is free advertising. And some of you are like, mmm, I'm hungry. I'm going to go post on Twitter's Facebook page on uh, Chipotle. Mmm, guacamole. Who doesn't love guac? Seriously. Seriously, if you don't like Glock, there's something wrong with you. So, so, that has to be the dumbest uh, promotion I've ever, maybe I've ever seen. Millennials, turns out that, uh, here's our millennial story of the day. Millennial story of the day. Um, they're trading up from fast food to fast service or convenience stores. So a research firm basically looked at the eating out of the home habits. For food and beverage stops, convenience stores are twice as important to millennials as fast casual restaurants. So we keep hearing like the millennials are going to Chipotle, fast casual. But it turns out they're going twice as much to convenience stores. Um, Convenience stores account for about 11.1% of their food and beverage stops. Uh, Millennial use of convenience stores and fast continues to grow fast food is getting squeezed from above and below in price so chains like 7-elevens they've upgraded their food quality you know 7-eleven offers a takeout pizza 555 um, some Southern California 7-elevens are doing nutritionally balanced fresh sandwiches wraps and salads Millennials find convenience stores attractive they're not just gas stations or gas stops I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Joining me now, Scott Gam. Scott is from the Street.com. How are you, Scott?
6: I'm great, Rob. How are you?
4: I'm doing well today. Um, just kind of going through the motions. It's getting into February and already got a month behind us and the volatility is crazy, so I'm kind of enjoying the market, but from a distance per se. Um, now, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do for the street.
6: Uh, I'm a reporter with The Street, covering markets and economics. Okay. So,
4: pretty simple. Um, How consumers aren't spending the money they're saving from low gas prices, something recently talked about heavily at thestreet.com. What do we need to know about this
6: angle? Well, you know, uh, gas prices have been low for quite some time now, several months, but we're not seeing consumers... Use that money and, and go out and spend more. And, you know, this was seen in the earnings report from major credit card companies like Visa and MasterCard. You know, they basically said that we're not seeing an uptick in spending in, in their data, at least, uh, from their perspective. And that's, you know, somewhat concerning, of course, because consumer spending drives two-thirds of GDP. That's the broadest measure of economic activity. But, uh, you know, the other side of this is that only Three months did we see these low gas prices, so that's not exactly long enough for consumers to think that this is a real stimulus for them. So it will be interesting to see in the coming months if we actually start to see them spend a little bit more.
4: I saw recently that the driving traffic to Las Vegas is picking up. So there's some kind of ancillary story there that uh, with the gas savings, people are blowing it in Vegas, which is kind of not shocking if you ask me.
6: Well, right. I mean, you know, gas prices are certainly low, and that's making it cheaper to travel. But, you know, are they spending this extra, say, $60 a month, which is what some of the reports have been saying, uh, that they're saving from these low gas prices? You know, are they spending that on more stuff? And as of yet, we just have not seen that.
4: So to push further with this, um, do you expect – Consumers' mentality to shift gears because it's a lot of money, all things considered, how much we're saving on a month to month basis. You know, gas is a fill up is almost half what it was a year ago. Are we going to spend it or are we going to save it in the
6: road ahead? Well, look, you know, the other thing that consumers are doing is paying down debt with that money, which is always a good thing. Uh, I think consumers are still cautious since the recession, and that's, you know, certainly something that. You know, we don't want people to forget what happened then, and you know, certainly people should be maintaining somewhat brutal habits just so they don't get themselves into any more trouble. But I think, you know, should gas prices stay this low for, you know, the next several months, which uh, the forecasts say they should, I think consumers will, uh, you know, start to shift their uh, that savings towards spending. Uh, but, but, you know, the other thing is this is a tax-free benefit. So it's it's almost, you know, we're not – Seeing enough wage growth out there, but this, you know, in, in some ways is better than that because uh, it's, it's extra money in your pocket that you don't have to pay taxes on.
4: Speaking with Scott Gamm from the com about how consumers aren't spending the money they're saving from low gas prices, turning the page to another hotly discussed topic at the street the recent unfolding of the drama of fast foods. We're seeing Shake Shack, we're seeing McDonald's, we're seeing Chipotle. All of them have had big stories in the last two weeks.
6: It's true. I mean, Shake Shack had a huge IPO debut, and that was very exciting for them. I mean, they want to open up hundreds of stores. I believe up to five hundred stores, which would really put them, uh, you know, in a position to, to become a national brand. Uh, you know, certainly I remember Shake Shack as, as sort of this local, you know, unique sort of burger chain in the city, but. They obviously have plans to grow nationwide and worldwide, so that was pretty incredible to see them go public and to see the stock jump uh, from its you know i p o pricing of around you know nineteen or so dollars per share uh, to reach you know in the forties in just a few hours so shake shack
4: it's going to take years for the company to grow into that valuation even though they're going to go from like you said fifty stores to five hundred so it'll be accelerated, but the valuation's high. Is it a phenomenon stock, or is it something like, you get in now, you buy a little bit more, you buy a little bit more down the road, it, it turns out to be, not the next McDonald's, but maybe the next Chipotle. Uh, what's your opinion on the valuation of the stock, and, and what Wall Street's doing with it, so to speak? Because it's just burgers, for the love of whatever. You know, It's just burgers, it's not iPhones, it's not yeah. $600 gadgets.
6: Well, look, I mean, I think it's too early to tell. I mean, it's only been a week, if that, and, and, you know, we actually just did a story on, on IPOs that went public last year and sort of what the stock did from then to now. And a lot of these companies were, were biopharma companies, but, I mean, we're talking in less than a year, triple digit, you know, percentage growth in the stock. So it's really anyone's guess as to what this thing is going to do. Uh, certainly, perhaps, like you mentioned, burgers, maybe not as hot as BioPharma, but, you know, Shake Shack has been around for quite some time, so uh, we'll be watching, you know, what their management has to say and what guidance they'll be giving out uh, in the coming quarters.
4: So McDonald's, um, I grew up with it, my generation, you know, it was a treat to go get, you know, not a happy meal, but they'd give, like, glasses tied towards movies, like Return of the Jedi glasses wear. Um, is it dead? Is it finished? Does it have a chance? Um, is it going to linger? What's your feelings on McDonald's after having done a couple of stories about them?
6: Well, I don't think McDonald's is, 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 done. I mean, they just, you know, they they, they had some, some softness, uh, you know, some of the franchises, you know, had extra costs in terms of remodeling them. Uh, and their CEO was replaced, uh, you know, Don Thompson. Uh, he had been with the company for 25 years. He's going to retire on March 1st uh, after less than three years on the job. And Steve Easterbrook, their chief brand officer, will you know take his place. And he had previously served as the president of McDonald's Europe. So uh, the decision to to pick you know Easterbrook uh, over McDonald's U.S. leader really shows uh, you know uh, the disenchant- uh, disenchantment with the state. Uh, and the short-term outlook of the domestic business. So, you know, we'll certainly see how that plays out. But, again, pretty interesting to see changes at the top at McDonald's.
4: Speaking with Scott Gam from TheStreet.com, let's hit the, the third big player in restaurant food fast service right now, Chipotle. I saw a survey out that millennials are doubling their attendance to fast casual. What is it that Chipotle does so much better than other local restaurants and other fast-casual concepts? What What's their secret sauce, so to speak?
6: Well, look, I mean, I think they have a unique way of, of focusing on the health aspects of their food. Uh, yes, they are a fast food chain, but they really have tried to become the leader of uh, a, a new category, the healthy fast food uh, movement and that's certainly sweeping across the country, um, but the, you know the stock got, was down in, in its most recent earnings report this week. Uh, you, you know, you know some of the analysts were just disappointed with the long-term strategy of the company, even though uh, same-store sales rose 16.1 percent. You know, and the benefit of a 7% menu price increase. Uh, you know was still uh, intact. People still came, even though they raised prices last year.
4: Scott, final question for you, final thought. Tomorrow is big January jobs report. Any insights into what we can expect?
6: Uh, Well, we're we're, we're expecting uh, an uptick in wage growth. Average hourly earnings should rise 0.3% compared to last month's drop of 0.2%. So that, you know, if that happens, that'll be a pretty interesting development because that's sort of what we're all waiting for is just when are we going to see wage growth? Uh, you know, it will also be interesting to see what types of jobs are being created, you know, in the, the report tomorrow. Certainly, we want to see, you know, better quality, higher paying jobs as opposed to, you know, temporary jobs. So those will be what will, you know, a few things that we'll be looking for.
4: Okay, thanks very much. It's Scott Gamm from TheStreet.com. You can find him at TheStreet.com, economics reporter with TheStreet.com. It's Scott Gam. Um, talking about how consumers aren't spending their money from savings in the low gas prices. It's it's a shame. You heard President Barack Obama a couple weeks ago come out and say, you know, hey, Americans, you're getting a tax break. You should you're not getting a tax break. You're either gas pump price tax break. You should put that money in your pocket. You should save it. Gas prices are going to go higher again. And he's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but will we? Probably not. Um I know, having been in relationships that, you know, we are a paycheck to paycheck kind of society. I've been living it. And, you know, if we have a little extra money we'll go, ooh, maybe I'm gonna go pick up some limited brands lingerie at Victoria's Secret. That stock's doing fantastic. Limited brands. Um they have if you ever study Victoria's Secret? You know, we can get snarky here and go, ha-ha, cute. But they don't do a lot of discounting. And they do a lot of fresh promotions as far as, like, uh, hey, come see our spring lineup. Come see our, our winter lineup. Come see our, uh, you know, sexy bra, our pink collection. Um, so Victoria's Secret, very well-run company. And, again, they don't mess around. That's a pretty well-run business. If you ever go in and actually look at how they run their operations, You could easily go in there and drop 200 bucks quickly. Quickly. And you're not buying a lot of material, if you know what I'm saying. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com.
2: That's robblack.com.
4: Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Pfizer's buying Hospira for $16 billion. It's a 39% premium to where Hospira closed yesterday. Hospira is a maker of injectable drugs and infusion technologies. This is buying into a growth segment for a very boring and old-fashioned dole kind of company. Um, Pfizer last year tried to make a deal with AstraZeneca. It that got reboofed. I just like saying boofed. Uh, this is a big deal because A, the company's got cash, but B, it's one company looking at another company and saying, I'm going to pay 39% premium for you. Does that tell you something? Yes. What does it tell you? I don't know. Actually, I do know. It tells you that mergers and acquisitions drive stock market valuations higher. Let's go to Andrew and Walnut Creek. Andrew, how are you?
6: Good. How are you doing, Rob? I'm okay. Good. Hey, so I have two questions for you. Number one, um, I've heard you say that you maxed out your 401k before the year is done. I was wondering what the advantages to that. Um, why don't you dollar cost average throughout the year? And the second question is a question on a stock, Amber Road. Uh, I've been yep. looking at that stock and uh, just wondering what your opinion is on that one.
4: Yeah, many years ago. Let's start with the first uh, question tied towards why I max out my 401k early in the year. I don't have a good answer. Um, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I was, I don't know, I think I changed 401K providers, and they automatically were taking $1,000 out per paycheck, and I really wasn't paying attention to it. I've got a sizable bank account that I'm not, like, babysitting it each and every day. Um, next thing I knew, I was like, I was maxed out come September slash October, $1,000 a month, 2000 times eight months, 16000 you kind of get the idea of how fast it can happen. So the last three months of the year, I'm having an extra $2,000 in my paycheck. I've never bothered to change it. I could. There's really no advantage of me pumping it in the first eight months or pumping it in over 12 months. Um, I kind of like having that extra $2,000 in the last three months of the year because those are the months that get kind of expensive with vacations, with holidays for me. Um, But it also forces me to do it. I get it in a little bit earlier per se, and you win by having more time in the market. If it were nothing but a thing, I'd put the whole 18,000 401k payment in January 1st. But it's not nothing but a thing. $18,000 is a lot of money. So I spread it out over eight months, some people spread it out over 12. No no smart reason for that. <laughs> as far as your company, Amber Road, ticker symbol B R, is this one you own or is it one you're looking to own?
6: Okay, I we lost. I'm sorry, what? I said yeah, this is one I've been looking to own for a
4: couple months. Okay. Uh, good. Yeah. So IPO'd at sixteen bucks and it's basically gone straight to about ten. It's had a couple moments where it's tried to get it's gone from like sixteen to twelve to sixteen to twelve to sixteen to whoops ten. Um, Thanks for the call. A little bit more about the company. In the tradition of Silk Road, Amber Road provides a highway for global trade, a top provider of cloud-based trade management technology. It automates import and export processes to allow goods to flow across borders efficiently, legally, and profitably. It combines enterprise-class software and trade content with a global supply chain network uh, connecting customers with trading partners. It is a -a software-as-a-service model, S-A-A-S, In 2013, they processed more than 600 million transactions tied towards supply chains. It raised $96 million in IPO. Taking a look at the company, let's see, some statistics on it. Market cap of $250 million, small. I don't know it personally. Um, There's no earnings, that's a bit of a problem. You would want to read the annual report or the quarterly report, so you can go to SEC.gov and get a copy of those quarterly reports, as well as the S filings. Those are quarterly reports, are material information that comes out every 90 days. S filings are material information that comes out in between uh, those 90 days. Annual reports are material information that comes out annually. Um, the numbers on it look, quite honestly, awful. But that doesn't mean it's awful, so let's keep looking at it. Um, there's one analyst that follows It has an $18 target on it. Uh, Stifle Nicholas, they said the quarter outlook themselves were both solid and nicely ahead of estimates. The results were overshadowed by the anticipated non-renewal of a top five customer that would otherwise have contributed roughly five million. So they lost a big customer, that's a bit of a problem. Despite the loss, firm remains uh, believers in the fundamental outlook of the secular growth story for Amber Road and maintain their buy rating on the stock. A former owner of 10% owner sold two million shares at $13 a share, for roughly $26 million in profits, maybe to buy a boat. Maybe it's not really telling you anything. Um, they recently announced that their global knowledge update process achieved um, certification. The company had enjoyed a nice run since it was highlighted. Uh, again, like at that $12 level, it seems very attractive. Now it's broken down to the $10 level. There's not a lot of news on it. They got a contract win recently with a company called Action out of Australia or out of the U.K. So the rally doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a couple of things that stand out. Its most recent earnings report actually looked pretty solid on August 7th, but the stock actually did not react positively. It beat on the top and bottom lines. Revenue was very strong at 102%. It seems like a high flyer. So you know how we break down stocks into hyper growth, growth, Growth in income and income, or growth in value and value. Um, it's trading at a 3.6 times uh, uh, enterprise value to sales, which is pretty good. It's not egregious. Stock showing some signs of stabilization. It might be one that you could do a little trade on um, with an upside quarter and solid growth rates. A pretty bullish picture is emerging there. I don't know who their competitors are. Like, I just don't know this industry. I guess you'd say Oracle and SAP. Maybe they're an acquisition target. I hope I gave you some information that can help there. Uh, certainly, they're not going to go out of business anytime soon. They've got plenty of cash. And the numbers look solid. It, it, it's underfollowed. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com.
3: and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network news, and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network.
4: Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Markets basically went higher today on news tied towards the economy, which is good. Like We can, we can deal with that. That makes some sense. Jobless claims rose less than expected. The number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment rose less than expected. Coming in at 278,000 for the week. Any number under 400 is pretty good. Any number under 350 is very constructive. Any number over 400, bad. With that said, layoffs are hitting a two-year high in January. Let's scratch our chins on this one and go, okay. Let's think about this. What's it tied towards? It's tied towards... Energy cuts, oil drops 50%, layoffs in the energy sector follow 42% of the layoffs from this two-year high number tied towards energy stocks. Pfizer's buying Hospira for $16 billion. Hospira is a maker of injectable drugs and infusion technologies for about $16 billion. They're buying them putting its cash to work as it loses sales from drugs losing patent protection. Pfizer a very boring company. It's what I would refer to as the granny panties in the collection of stocks that you might have, but granny panties have a a very solid function for women. Go ask them. Do you have a pair of unattractive underwear? And they'll say, yes, they do. Um, With that said, Limited Brands and Victoria's Secret doing great, sales are through the moon right now. Millennials love their product, uh, plus their pink division, um, and their Bed, Body, and Bathworks products, so that stock's doing great. A little bit different, but you see where I'm going at with this. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now on Rob Black and Your Money, CFP Chad Burton. He is a financial planner. You've heard him here through the years. He's excellent at what he does. Chad, let's talk about um, you know, tax efficient investing. It's This has got to be a
5: boring topic for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit of a boring topic, but really why it should be kind of in your forefront as you start accumulating assets, especially once you get past the idea of you know, I, I'm maxing out my 401k. Now what? Right. The average investor that has money outside of their 401k loses 15 to 30 percent of the return each year in taxes. So if your average is 10, you might be down at all the way down at seven percent as your after-tax equivalent return because of if capital your, gains taxes, capital income. gains taxes, income. It's really putting the wrong assets in the wrong place. So okay. you've got to first sit down and do your asset allocation which determines how much you have in large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, you know, emerging markets, commodities, bonds, REITs, things like that. And then you've got different areas on where you can put those assets. You've got your 401k, you've got your taxable accounts, you've got your Roth IRA. So you've got to determine which assets are the best. So you know, long story short, if, if you're living off of your portfolio, it doesn't matter as much. But when you're building the wealth, that's when it really matters because you don't, you don't want to pay... You don't want to pay taxes on income that you're not using right now, right? Sure. Okay. So if you're trying to build a portfolio and you've determined your asset allocation, let's start with what should go in your taxable accounts. Okay. Okay. If you're the person that likes mutual funds, managed mutual funds, and ETFs, then what should go in your taxable accounts would be more of your large cap oriented ETFs or total stock market return types of funds, index funds, and mid cap can be in there as well. But where you're going to concentrate on your small cap, emerging markets, and sometimes international holdings, and especially REITs and bonds, would be in your 401k, which means that your 401k is going to be slightly more conservative because of the bond allocation than your taxable accounts. But that's okay because bonds pay interest. And if you're working, you don't need the income. You want the interest to accumulate tax-deferred inside your retirement accounts.
4: A lot of people, uh, you know, they start getting into the nitty-gritty, and the nitty-gritty here, Chad, could be like tech stocks, i.e. growth stocks, mm-hmm. where you might sell it after it's doubled or tripled or done, you know, whatever dream that you wanted it to do. You don't want to be a, create a taxable event, so you'd throw that in a 403B or, ta- you know, a, a tax-efficient vehicle. but. It, ultimately, if you're up 100%, do you really care? Like, why not pay some taxes? Or am, am I, at this point in time, just being stupid?
5: No, I mean, you're still enjoying right now. We're enjoying the lowest tax structure that I've seen in the 19 plus years that I've been in the business. I mean, when I got in the business, capital gains were 27%. 2012, they're 15%. 2013, they go up to 20%, if not higher. It's, that's the dividend and capital gains taxes, is the, the taxes that are really under, going to be under attack, which means this is all the more reason for it. For example, small cap funds, the successful ones, They have turnover ratios of over 100%, meaning very seldom does the stock stay in the portfolio for the full year. So you have a trading event or a taxable event. So you can look at a fund. You can go to Morningstar.com, and you can look at the potential capital gains exposure. In other words, are there a lot of stocks in there that if they sell them after you buy, are you going to inherit a capital gains problem? Um, Or turnover ratios. So again, the higher turnover ratio funds, the higher dividend-paying funds, those go in your retirement accounts. Whereas the stuff that you go for the long run on, you know, three to five year types of holds, large cap, mid cap, that goes in your taxable accounts.
4: There's a little bit of a science to it, but let's talk about the losses because that's also part of tax efficient, not just the gains you don't want to pay tax on, but you could actually harvest losses. And I I love that phrase harvest because it sounds ghoulish, but uh, it's kind of a, let's talk harvesting losses.
5: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's super important because most people, when they get into retirement, they end up with real estate business, stocks, all of which if they sell, you pay capital gains. So, you know, people go through a big correction, like in the 2000s or the 2007, they accumulate losses and they forget about accumulating even more. You can build up a a bank account essentially with the IRS. So every year, um, at least in around, you know, August, September is when I like to do it, is you go through your portfolio and say, have I bought anything that is showing a loss in my taxable accounts? And if it is, what I typically do is I'll sell it and I'll buy an index fund that matches it or an ETF that matches it for 30, 31 days. And then I'll turn around and buy the stock back if I like it or the fund back if I like it. That way, I've harvested a loss with the IRS. You can use 3000 a year against your ordinary income. If you don't have any losses or gains this year to offset, those losses get carried forward indefinitely until you need them. And okay. you're going to need them someday. So harvest those. It's a bank account with the IRS um, and even people that bought variable annuities and taxable accounts and... You know, maybe at the height of two thousand or at the height in two thousand seven. There's ways to even write off some of those losses as a miscellaneous itemized deduction, so really talk to your CPAs about getting out of those bad deals if if you're that type of an investor.
4: That's CFP Chad Burkin, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. dot And I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. Some of the stories out there you know, to add to color of the day. Netflix is launching in Japan this fall. The move is part of the Streaming Pioneers global expansion. Think of them as a network channel or as a video magazine. It's all about subscribers. And where ABC, CBS, you know, lose a little bit is sometimes they can be too local, too national. Netflix is going pretty much so all out on their international expansion. It costs money, and that will be bad for the stock, but it will also be good in the long term as if they get that subscription there and they can keep the churn low. Can they raise prices is, you know, how you would value the company in the future. Your tweets soon will be showing up in your Google searches. Twitter and Google have partnered to make your tweets more searchable online. They report today, and a lot of people want the head of Costello. Starting the second half this year, tweets will begin appearing in Google searches as soon as they're posted. Sprint is taking a $1.9 billion charge right down its brand name. Company that's kind of stuck in a turnaround mode. With that said, there's something attractive there in the fact that they are a competitor to Verizon in AT&T. But do you want to own the third prettiest sister? Or do you want to date third prettiest sister? That's what your question is when it comes to investing. Which one do you go for? I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Pick up phone, give me a call. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I think we have a caller. I'm not sure his name, but let's go to him.
1: Steve. Is uh, that me? Yep. All right. My name is Steve. Thanks, Steve. Um, I had a question in regards to an ETF versus an End, what the difference is? Like, I believe it's exchange,
6: exchange-traded fund, exchange-traded note. I bought sure. a uh, exchange-traded note, not realizing it was a note. Thought it
4: was a fund. How's it done for you?
6: Uh, it's been fine. It was okay. I don't know, thought of it a couple
2: weeks ago. Um, OIL is the ticker.
4: Okay. Um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about this. And thanks for the call. I'll let you listen on your radio. Might be a little bit easier. Exchange traded funds are the hottest thing since the mutual fund. Um, they're a way of getting mutual fund like exposure, but without the capital gains tied towards them. Exchange traded notes, or more like bonds. Let me explain a little bit about this. So, I would say ETFs are slowly but surely, maybe not completely, going to replace mutual funds, but their lower fee structure, easier to understand stock like price action, has. Be- really clicked well with investors. I have ETFs in my portfolio. Um, Now the ETN exchange traded note, so an exchange traded fund is like maybe like 20 stocks in ETF. It's like a mutual fund, so it's like. Now an ETN is something that most retail investors know little to nothing about. Um, The two are very similar Both are designed to track an underlying asset. Both often have lower expense ratios than actively managed mutual funds. And both trade on major exchanges, just like stocks. So you can buy and sell throughout the trading day. The main difference is, of course, under the hood. In an ETF, you're investing into a fund that holds the asset it tracks. That asset may be stocks, it could be bonds, it could be gold, it could be a theme like communication stocks or security stocks with a recent hack of Anthem. You can understand like why some people would want a whole basket of exchange traded um, stocks inside of a fund. An ETN is more of a bond. Again, a bond is more of an IOU. A stock is more of a you get to share in the corporate, you become an owner in the stock. So an ETN is more of a bond. It's an unsecured debt note issued by an institution. Just like with a bond, an ETN can be held to maturity, it can be bought, it can be sold. And the underwriter, you know, um, you know, could go bankrupt. So the investor would risk a total, you know, default on that ETN that they bought. Tax implications come into play inside of ETNs. The IRS hasn't provided very good guidance on ETNs. Tax treatment seems to be a little more favorable, just like with any investment. If you sell for more than you purchase, you trigger what's called a capital gains tax. But inside the fund is where lies the difference. ETNs don't buy and sell assets within the funds like an ETF. Taxes are not triggered until the fund is sold, often years later. This will trigger long-term capital gains rather than short-term capital gains. Um, Which is better? If you follow the age-old rule that says you should invest only into what you understand, ETFs are a lot better. Part-time investors, i.e., you know, retail investors, people like you, have an easier time understanding products with stock-like characteristics, and ETN has bond-like characteristics, I don't do bonds well and I know that I don't do bonds well. Um, I have a bond person pick bonds for me. Uh, the most popular exchange-traded products are ETFs. Um, you can get like the SP500, you can get, you know, uh, like I said just any flavor of mutual fund, so uh, don't count out ETNs. These funds are more efficient than some ETFs and have, at least for now, favorable tax treatment for longer term investors. So I have no problem with you going ETN or ETF, except for ETNs are a lot tougher to understand the bond characteristics um, and how they pay back those bonds. Um, stocks receive more attention from retail investors because they're, like I said, easier to understand. ETNs could be right for you, um, provided you've done your research and you feel a pretty good level of understanding. Um, and again, they're pretty cheap vehicles to buy and sell, which is a pretty good thing. Um, and the cost inside, which we've regularly talked about on the show, trading costs are one of the reasons you succeed and or fail. ETFs have liquidity that comes with a single stock. ETNs are a debt obligation, so credit risk is a concern and you need to be mindful of. Like if, um you got an ETN tied towards the ruble or tied towards oil. And you see a downgrade of the debt to junk that could affect you with like a news headline versus anything else. ETNs have maturity dates. When you hold an ETN until the maturity, you receive a one-time payment based on performance of the underlying assets. When you buy an ETF, you buy ownership of uh, stocks. So again, ownership versus maturity. Uh, Tax treatment of ETFs and ETNs, different. ETNs are only taxed upon sale. Short-term capital gains rates apply if held for less than one year, long-term capital rates if you hold it for more than a year. Um, but ETFs and ETNs give you access to hard-to-reach markets, such as currencies and, you know, foreign markets. Um, there's an IPATH Morgan Stanley Country Index tied towards India ETN called INP. So it gives you exposure to rapidly growing economy in India um, at very low cost. So, ETNs have no tracking error. This can be very attractive to some investors. However, tracking error has not been a terribly big problem with ETFs either. So, it comes down to tax treatment and credit risk is, I think, the bottom line on that. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Some of the other stories of note out there today include, but are not limited to... Um, You know, some of the big headlines, Michael Kors gave a soft outlook. Um, As that company's gotten bigger, they've doubled their revenue. But as they've gotten bigger, they've doubled their image. And as their image has gotten bigger, they've had to do some discounting to drive sales. Fashion retailer consistently reports strong bottom line growth and demand. Um, It's wholesale merchandise segments have risen. But again, now they're starting to do discounts because they're kind of big, just to move product. Other stories out there, Apple's talking to TV programmers about its own web TV service. Apple spent years circling the TV business without ever really getting into the TV business. Now it's going to try again, and it's going directly to programmers. So they're kind of saying, you know, they have an idea. They want to offer an over-the-top pay TV service, like the one Dish has started selling with its Sling TV product and the one Sony is getting ready to launch. Um, That's worthy of note. Millennials crave convenience store foods. That's a fascinating study to me, that of all the food purchases by millennials, 11.1% of them are coming from convenience stores. That's shocking to me, like a 7-Eleven. Now, again, 7-Elevens have added like really high quality wines. So they know, I mean, they're they're getting the mathematics of who's stopping in and who's coming by. Fast casual is about 6.1% of their purchases, so about 172 are fast casual and or convenience stores eating on the go and eating out. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing in more, retirement taxes, investing, credit and debt, saving, spending, real estate, cars, college insurance. That's all you need to know. Just eight or nine broad topics and that'll get you financially secure. Not saving for retirement is going to make your retirement a, a nightmare. I save 10 to 15%, I save 15% of my salary automatically into a retirement fund. And I'm still scared about retirement. So I'm financially secure and I'm still scared about it. There's a lot of things that we don't know and you have to get comfortable with taxes and investing, credit, debt, savings, spending, real estate, cars, college, insurance. You know, real estate and cars are two big, pretty big, expensive items. And as a nation, we've gotten dumber. We're buying more cars, and we're spending uh, our payments, spreading them out over a longer period of time. Um, but fortunately, younger Americans are starting to learn that we don't need cars, and that sharing cars is going to be a big thing in the future. And that's led some, you know, to really start thinking you know, allowed, we're going to have self-driving cars. Right now, in 2015, this year, Tesla's got a car that could basically drive itself 90% of the time. Still try to figure out cities, uh, where you have a lot more random variables, like homeless people jumping in front of you. Um, I don't know. I hope that you see that there's a pretty big shift happening right before our eyes in the auto industry. And some of the biggest players in driving will be Uber, Google, and maybe Apple. Um, We won't have to, you know, you spend so much money per year, $9,000 per year with your vehicle. And if you're in a city, you don't need to do that. Um, So you gotta start really thinking about like, I'm not going to say the future, because the future is really close um, as far as automatic driving vehicles go. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You're also talking about a lot of people losing jobs with self-driving cars. You're talking about potentially insurance ramifications. People aren't getting insurance, they're saving money because they don't have a car. What do you think they'll do with that money? Tinder is in the news. Outrageously popular free dating app is going through a huge change. It's in the middle of launching a paid subscription product called Tinder Plus. A lot of Tinder users feel that the update ruins everything that made the original great because it's gonna limit the number of swipes you have. Tinder is popular in large part because it's so easy to use. You swipe to the right if you like someone, you swipe to the left if you don't. Users have an unlimited number of swipes, so it feels like a mobile game as much as a dating app. Um, So it's going to be interesting switching it up and making people pay for swipes. What do they lose? Uh, Tinder users will have limited swipes. It's not clear how many right swipes people have. That's still being tested. Uh, But, you know, Tinder in-app purchases, like an in-app purchase, like a mobile game, um... Like maybe you'll get ten per day, but if you want to get you know a hundred more, it'll be a buck forty nine. Uh, Tender Plus model works for sites like OkCupid. Pay extra for cool new features. Um, it's going to be an experiment, to say the least. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Let's talk a little Bay Area dot com. That's Bay dot com. He's my lender. He's done a couple loans for me in the past few years. I bring that up because I trust him. I bring that up because I think you can trust him. He does a great job of packaging scenarios for you and showing you your options. Whether I definitely don't want a seven year one arm, I want a 30 year, he'll show you the 30, the 15, and the seven one because that's his job, to show you your options. Um, One of the things that I was surprised about the 2013 government shutdown was some of the stories that came along that said getting a a mortgage is gonna be tougher because the IRS is shut down. Getting a mortgage is gonna be tougher because um we verify wages as well. Um we being the mortgage industry. Mm-hmm. Um that's a little bit I think people don't they're not prepared with how much paperwork there is. Yeah. And how much different how many different sources you have to go to. So I think it's incredibly rude for someone to shop a lender because once they shop you start doing this process where you're calling 20 to 30 different people on their behalf.
7: And, and it's not just the amount of paperwork that you have to go through to actually get the appropriate quote. It's the amount of work that we have to do on a, uh, ECOA, for example. They they make us put out these disclosures every time. If I give you a quote, I have to give you a disclosure. So, yeah, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, there was a M- Mortgage Bankers Association, they do this uh, rating on how difficult it is to get a mortgage. and Index is at 101, approximately. They... Uh, they estimated that back in 2006, 2007, at the peak of the real estate market back then, uh, it would have been at 800. So that's how much harder it's gotten, higher number being easier. And it's only, it's, it's going down. So we're going to see a lot more difficult guidelines come up. We have the lenders that are implementing this year already some of the qualified mortgage rules that are coming up in 2014, January, which we expect to be fully implemented by then and expected for lenders to follow these rules. Um, but yeah, during the 2013 shutdown, it was. It was. It made it even more difficult. We had this thing called a 4506 uh, IRS transcript request that got delayed. Um, and but Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, they said, okay, we'll 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 ease the guidelines and say, okay, just give us tax returns, we'll be okay with that. Um, but it did become a more difficult. And this is just the theme that we're going to see throughout 2014 and beyond. It's pretty. It, they're similar standards to what they were before 2000. The 2000s was a different era, Rob. It was a very strange era. We're let going me put, back to the norm.
4: Let me put that in perspective. 2000s. You can get six hundred thousand dollars by basically initialing two pieces of paper. Liar loans. At that point in time, the lender would say, "Okay, I'm going to go start filling out numbers."
7: You know how they did liar loans, right? No, tell me. Um, so you give them your type of work, and they would yeah. go to this website, and it would have this graph. It says that if you've been in it this long, you get paid this much, and then it goes like that. And they pick the highest number, and they use that as your income. Okay, so it's a stated income loan.
4: Was it ever so egregious, like, liar loans were good for, like, football players who, they don't care. They just want to get the money. Um, did you ever get things like, people like me saying, yeah, Tony, I, I, I pitch for the the San Francisco Giants. Did you ever get liars like that? Or was it more no, in, it, it, inflationary what, what on you, your end? What
7: you typically saw, and this is where Subprime really came into a, um, dug people into a hole, was they would literally make up jobs for people. Did I show you the email I got the other day? from. It was a business card that, that people are still handing out. It says, we will make up a W-2 for you and verify the job. So it was essentially like that. They were, make, they were making up jobs. They were just doing what they call ver, uh, verbal verifications. So you could give the lender a phone number for your buddy. They would call that, and the guy would go, oh, yeah, this guy does a lawn care for me. He's been doing it for three years. Boom. There's your income. Yeah. Um, and those are liar loans. Those are stated income loans. And it was very, very, very skeptical. I mean, it's just... It, it just made so many more people qualify for home loans. It drove home prices up. It was the first thing that I saw when I came to California. Is that why would why would people get teaser? Not only that, you could get teaser loans. It start one percent negam loans, and you could go up to a hundred percent financing. It was crazy. Okay, so how do you prepare somebody? Because I freak out every time I do a loan.
4: Um, I whenever I buy a house, I pay someone to sign for me. Like I, I, yeah, you know, I, I give them credit because I don't like going through all that paperwork.
7: Quite honestly, it's the toughest part of my job is to is to hide people from this the red tape that they have to go through. It's becoming harder and harder and harder. Now I know I want to say that I'm the best. I get loans done. You know, right. I, everybody's heard of my commercial, but it's you know, it, I get loans I get done. done. I get loans done. Uh, you know, and it's getting harder. It's actually, it's I get loans done, but it's harder to keep people from seeing. Like the lender asking for multiple types of transactions you know, deposits now. If you have a deposit at an ATM, they want that check. Oh, I know that happened to me. They want that check. Um, I deposit
4: large amounts, if, and when I was doing a refi, they're like, "Why were you depositing six thousand dollars?" Um, and I had to go like I I don't remember. And that came up with dodd Frank. There's a lot of
7: um, anti-money uh, laundering rules that came up as well, and that, that is now forcing lenders to look at things like that. So the overregulation that we had as a result from the, um, the real estate crash is really making it tough on people now.
4: So be prepared. If you do a refi, if you buy a home, it's going to take some time. Know that the lender is working their butts off for you. I get calls from Tony on occasion where he's just frustrated that a loan's not getting funded yet because he needs one more thing. So it's going to be, it's a freakier experience for me, for you, for everyone. That's Tony Mendez. You can find him online at bayarealonesource.com. That's com. So one of the big stories of the day is, you know, Apple bought Beats a couple years ago, not a couple years ago, last year, $3 billion. Headphones, and everyone's like, headphones. But it's also a music service that competes with Spotify, RDO, Radio, Rhapsody, and Google. And it's expected somewhere between March and June that Beats music service is going to be built into the I operating system and into the hardware. This should scare the pants off Spotify and Rhapsody and Google. 39 million phones sold last uh, quarter. Uh, that should scare the pants off these guys. Now, this doesn't mean that it's going to automatically succeed because, you know, Apple has their own little radio streaming music service that no one's really using. It's not making a dent. But by putting beats, you know, on the front page of its operating system, it's very very interesting. Plus they're going to make an app for Android, that's known at this point in time. They're going to price the service at 7.99. So, do you give Apple another, you know, 10 billion dollar value market cap because of, you know, comparing it to Spotify? I think you could. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. Sign up for a webinar coming up at robblack.com.
2: Baby, baby, right on Baby, baby, right on
4: Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The Greek finance minister went, met with his German counterpart. The meeting has not produced any results as of yet, and it's not expected to. Pfizer acquires Aspira for $90 a share, 35% plus premium. That's awesome when companies look at each other and say, let's buy each other. Strength today in energy, financials, healthcare, and materials. Weakness in consumer staples, tech, telecom services, and utilities. Um, kind of a mixed market as far as what's working and what's not working. Layoffs hit a two-year high according to a Challenger Grain Christmas survey. Always seems weird that the word Christmas is used in a survey that's tied towards layoffs. It doesn't feel like it. Crude dropping 60% since peaking last June has caused the largest amount of layoffs in our economy, about 21,000 job cuts as of January. Um, Most directly tied towards oil for obvious reasons. Uh, Other big stories of note out there. um, Qualcomm, Facebook, Apple, you know, um, tech companies uh, not doing great, kind of underperforming a little bit, but I think it's all relative uh, to, you know, what sort of year they had last year. 800 516 1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800 1220 to get your calls on the air. A couple of things that I want to, you know, again, pound home is so I do have a webinar coming up. And I bring that up because last time it would, we, we basically, we, there are not enough seats, not enough open lines. So if you want to sign up for it, do it sooner than later. Building a retirement portfolio that last webinar. It's coming up on February 26th. If you don't make it, there's a replay of it. Uh, But it's always good to have that live-action feel to the stories as they're coming out. Uh, Anthem, the second biggest U.S. health insurer by market value, um, was hacked. If you're not pulling your annual credit report for free, you're making a huge mistake, in my opinion. Because in the last couple years, Target, Home Depot, uh, big, big hacks of your private information. This is a big one too. Um, So the attack is very similar in scale. 4.5 million patients from community health systems had their social security, their names, their address hacked by Chinese hackers, Um, birth dates, street email addresses, employee data, uh, (coughs) including income. So you can go to annualcreditreport.com. Now if you've been Affected by this hack, they're going to sign you up for a monitoring service, credit monitoring service. But this isn't going away. This is only getting more and more pervasive. Um, I change my passwords every three months, um, pretty much so like clockwork. Um, I check my credit report three to four times a year, pretty much so clockwork. Uh, I have credit monitoring services, even something stupid like Credit Karma. An app out there, and it's not stupid. It's a great app. Uh, it'll notify you if a new line of credit has been opened. So take advantage of things along those lines. Um, uh, Monitoring, having that time. I mean, I've had you know a couple credit cards uh, breached. One of them recently was breached in Turkey. Some travel company spent. Uh, someone went in with a fake credit card number and. Got a nineteen hundred dollar vacation, and uh, Visa called me up and said, "Are you in Turkey?" I'm like, "Nope." I'm like, we'll cancel this then. Uh, Fifty Shades, Fifty Shades of Gray, it is going to be monstrously big. Um, coming out at the right time, its online sales of tickets in advance are crazy, breaking records. So, we're about a week away from the craziness that is the premiere of Fifty Shades of Grey. They say that about 20% of the movie is sex scenes. So, it runs about an hour, or it runs about an hour and a half. So, you could figure out, that's a lot of nudity. Um, But what's interesting to note about it is, it's going to sell a lot of product. So, you're starting to see companies like Target, you know, not only put the book out for sale, but put... A blindfold. Put a blindfold out for sale right next to it. Um, just throwing it out there for you. And Jamie Dornan, who's in the movie, um, he's a pretty good-looking dude. He's got a drool-worthy body, uh, as far as musculature goes. And again, I say that with a smile on my face. So, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but there's a smile there. So, work with that, if you will, please. Please. Is this thing still on? <laughs> Can we turn this off now? Um, Twitter is going to be the company that we're all paying attention to tonight uh, as they report numbers. Um, they just signed a deal, and they signed a lot of deals this quarter, telling you that maybe next quarter is the quarter that we're going to care about because a lot of the deals that they've signed aren't going to really help them much. But your tweet's going to be more searchable online. A couple of years ago, they took that away from Google and put it in-house, Uh, and now they're giving it back to Google, and it's just more exposure. So, Apple's talking to TV programmers about its own web TV service. Good. More choice and opportunity for us. Um, an area that we don't have a lot of choice right now is the whole net neutrality issue. And it looks like it's going to be open, and that AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, Sprint, and T-Mobile hate that. Companies like Amazon, Google, and Netflix love that. Uh, Netflix right now is paying a lot of those service providers extra money so that the movies you get that you launch, you know, actually kind of stream pretty fast. Um, now, the industry saying that we're going to pay more in taxes if this is going to be regulated by the government, up to $15 billion a year, $67 for each wired service, $72 for wireless in-state and local taxes. Yeah. Some experts are saying that's bull, some are saying it's honky. Um, but we are watching a lot of content on Netflix and YouTube, so you can see why Comcast wants to throttle it or charge them, because Comcast has the modem and the content, <laughs> so they're losing on the content while you're sucking the modem speeds from them. Big webinar coming up into the month. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. That's robblack.com.
3: Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network. This station, its management, owners, or advice, always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.